This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Before we get into the message today, I do want to share something with you. Uh, If you followed on our Facebook page, uh, you'll notice we have uh, said quite a bit about all of the details concerning the Mackey family and the recent uh, house fire tragedy that we had here in Sheboygan Falls where three children's lives were lost tragically and we had a special time of prayer this morning for that family as we will do at the conclusion uh, of of this service at 10.05. So if you want to come back into the sanctuary and pray, by all means, we would love for you to be a part of that. We'll pray for about 15 or 20 minutes together. And uh, one of the other things that we thought we could do as a church family is that we also want to not only minister to that family, but we thought, you know, it would really be a blessing to also minister to those emergency responders. Our church is very well connected with um, our local emergency responders here in Sheboygan Falls. I have a very good relationship with Chief Riffle, our chief of police here. And uh, one of the things that I thought that we could do was I called him and I told him, I said, here's the deal Uh, Our staff is available to help any of the emergency responders that may need someone to talk to because those who are on the scene have to carry the weight of being there, being in in the midst of the tragedy. Um, Those of us here just hear about it afterwards. But uh, those who are actually there, those who are actually risking their lives to run into a burning home, those who had to treat those people on the route to Milwaukee, those who had to take um, the one child to St. Nicholas, all of those things, man, these people carry such an incredible burden, and they still have families of their own that they are trying to love and trying to uh, go home and, 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 and separate work from being with their family, and it's incredibly difficult. I can tell you firsthand as a pastor, having to deal with some of the things that I deal with, man, it, sometimes it's very difficult, and you carry this weight around. So one of the things I thought we could do as a church family would be to let those people know that we appreciate them and that we love them and that we care about them, that we're praying for them. So what we've done is we've placed these cards here on the tables next to the exits in the auditorium. There's cards at both tables, and there's also a white bucket right next to those cards. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this card, and I want you to write a note on the back of it to the emergency responders, if you're feeling perhaps particularly led to a firefighter, maybe you want to specifically write something to the firefighter or, or, or to the police officer or to uh, the EMT tech um, that worked on the ambulance or, or whoever you feel led to or maybe all three, and you want to write down just a note of encouragement. Hey, I'm praying for you. I, I appreciate what you do. Just let them know because this is another simple way that we can let those who serve that a lot of times we, uh, we don't think about the great sacrifice that they put out there for you and for I. This would be a great way just to acknowledge that what they do matters and that we do appreciate them and that we are praying for them. Because I think in church culture, we all the time say we're praying for people, but do we actually pray for them? Oh, you're going through this or going through that. Oh, I'll pray for you, right? And we throw that out there kind of like candy at a parade. We just throw it out there. But do we actually follow through with it? So my challenge to you is to write them a note of encouragement and to actually take time and to lift those people as well. Because, yes, we do need to remember the Mackey family during this time. And we also uh, prayed for Pastor Jeff Yeager over at Crossroads Community Church this morning as he's addressing his congregation as well. Because that's where um, the Mackey family attended and they were involved. But 
one of the other things I want us to do was this. So take this, write that note, put it into the white bucket, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take those tomorrow morning, and uh, I'm actually going to hand deliver those and let those people actually read those notes of encouragement. And hopefully when they go to their break room or whenever there's a shift change, wherever they put these cards, they can sit and sift through these cards and know that there are people who care. Amen? So why don't you take advantage of that, grab those, write a quick note, put it into the white bucket. I'm sure that it will mean a lot to those people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into the Word this morning. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given me to share your Word with your people. I pray, Father, that I'll speak it clearly and with authority and with clarity, Lord, that only comes from you and you alone. I pray in Jesus' name that you'll help the ears of the hearer and the hearts of the hearer to be receptive to your truth because it is your truth that sets us free. I ask you right now in this moment that you would remove distractions from us, Lord, so we could be focused upon you and we could be focused on what your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each individual, regardless of the subject matter, regardless of the scriptures that are read today. I know, Father, that your Holy Spirit can make this word applicable to each individual, regardless of what their situation is, because you care about each one of us individually, Lord, as well as collectively. Help us to take this word and not just be hearers of it, but let us be doers of it. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Behind the Scenes. And the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is The Right Things. You can also follow along on version if you have that application on your phone. Just search for a live event in your area and you'll be able to follow along with the notes there. Today we're really going to talk about two kings that were both anointed by God. We're going to talk about Saul and we're going to talk about David. Now, in those days, prophets, priests, and kings were three offices in the Old Testament that you'll read about that were actually anointed offices. That word anointed, it was like a special calling or symbol. These people were uh, sometimes anointed with oil, where they would actually put oil on these people's heads as a symbol that these people were chosen, set apart by God to be his messengers. And that's exactly where in the New Testament we get that word anointed is translated as the word Christ. Jesus Christ. Some of you guys just thought Christ was his last name, right? Christ means the anointed one. It means the called one, the sent one, the messenger. And he came as substitute for me and you. But that's what that word anointed means. And the prophet Samuel anointed Saul as the very first king over Israel by pouring a horn of oil all over his head. And then Saul was, uh, he, he was this guy that was a head taller than everyone in the kingdom. So he was naturally this guy that people saw because uh, he was a really tall guy. Tall people kind of stand out in a crowd sometimes. And not only was he tall, but he was a good looking guy. And he seemed to have everything going for him. He, he seemed to be the guy. I mean, if you were going to go out and anoint a king, Saul had all of the right things on the outside, but Even though he looked the part behind the scenes, his heart was corrupt by selfish desire. So let's go ahead and look at some of what Saul did here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Just to give you a little bit of background about what's going on here before we read it. Now, Samuel was a mouthpiece of God to Saul. 
God gave Samuel instruction to tell to Saul. And one of the things he said, I want you to go out and I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites. I won't want you to leave anything. Don't leave any people. Don't leave any belongings. Don't leave any oxen. Don't leave any sheep. Anything. I want you to go out and I want you to destroy everything. I want you to take King Agag and I want you to destroy him as well. This is what I want you to do. These are wicked people. They're vile. These people have to be wiped out. And I want you to go do this. So that was the commission from God to Samuel, which he gave to Saul. Now here Saul has a choice. And Saul goes out and this is what he does in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's read in verse 7. So he went out and attacked the Amalekites. So that's good. He went all the way to Shur, which is uh, east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Uh Uh-oh. He was told to destroy everything. He was told to even make sure that the king was wiped out. But he kept him alive. But he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Okay. But Paul... But, but Saul and, and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Oh, man, come on. Really? And the oxen and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. So they kept the best stuff is kind of what it's looking like to me. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel. Because Samuel loved Saul, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Go to the next verse. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, gone down to Gilgal, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. Hey, brother, praise the Lord. Good to see you. I performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, "Um, What's this bleeding of uh, sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of oxen which I hear? Saul said, Well, (laughs) they've brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But don't worry about the rest of the people. We utterly destroyed them. So we did that part. So let's go on to the next verse. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not of the tribes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Go to the next verse. And Saul said to Samuel, wait, hold on. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I did go out on the mission, which the Lord told me to go. I brought back... Agag, king of Amalek, and I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, and the best which should have been utterly destroyed. But we wanted to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Oh, snap. (laughs) The Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? <sighs> Behold, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Whoa. That's heavy. That is heavy. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he said, I've rejected you as king. He's saying to obey is better than to sacrifice. He said, do you think that God delights in burnt offerings? In other words, God is going, oh, I've got a barbecue going down there. Oh, that smells pretty good. <laughs> smells like some quality grade A meat there. I bet it's grass fed and I bet that it's organic. <laughs> no steroids or anything in that. Good sacrifice. That's, God said, I don't delight in that. Do you think that's why I asked you to, to begin to do this in the first place? And I think that is so reflective of our culture in this day. We work so hard to try to do so many things right because we think that the goal is to do right. And we miss the heart of obedience. We think that if we can just look the part we think if we can just know when to stand up, know when to sit down, know when to recite what we need to recite, that we're good in the eyes of God. That we, if we know when to come to church, how to dress, how to act, how to speak, we know when to give, when to serve, and we do all the right things and look the part, that we're good. And God is saying, you're missing the point. You're forgetting the why. You're forgetting why I asked you to do this in the first place. You see, I'm not looking for barbecue. He said, I'm looking for obedience. I'm looking for your heart. You see, you can do things that look good, but I want to submit to you today this question. Are they the right things? You can do things that impress other people, but are they the right things? Things You see, we often try to counterbalance our selfishness with good deeds. So we think that there's like these scales of justice that are being weighed against us. And that we know we've done bad. I mean, everybody in here will admit to at least a certain degree of bad. I've been a pretty good person. And we began to look at the scales, and hopefully they're weighing in our favor. And if they're not weighing in our favor, then we better do some good things. And that's how we view God. We think, well, let's put more on the good side so it'll outweigh the bad. And I think that even though maybe I struggle with this or struggle with that, or I just told a little lie, or I just gossiped a little, or I just did this, and we say, well, you know, those things don't really matter because look at all the good I do. And we think that that's how God views us. We think that that's what God is after. Look, God, look at what all I did. Look at me polishing my trophy. Look at this trophy for this award that I won because of all of the good that I have done. And God says, I am not interested in your trophy. I am not interested in your sacrifice. I'm after your heart. God is after your heart. He's after my heart. Man, there's a lot of things 
that we could learn from this story. There's a lot of things that as we look at the way that Samuel, the, the, the one who anointed this messenger, this anointed king who was set up to lead these people, but yet because of his own selfishness, it led him to rebellion and disobedience. Now, get this. Just wrap your mind around this for a minute. God used to require sacrifice in the Old Testament of sheep and ox and all those things for different things. And so here's Saul thinking, I'm doing something good, but really his heart was turned towards himself because when he was confronted with the truth of the matter, he knew what was truly going on. I mean, he wasn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard because Samuel said this. He said, rebellion is like witchcraft. Man, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. He said, we need to take this seriously. When God speaks, we want to obey him because he's looking at our heart, not just what we do. Amen? Let's uh, turn over to 1 Samuel 16. Hopefully you're still there in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16. Now let's look at a different point of view to contrast this. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of this, he's going to kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you need to do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named you. Hold on here. I'm just going to take a little mini-sermon real quick, if that's okay. A little side note. If you'll notice here, God told him, I want you to go. He said, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? He told him where he was, where he was going to do, go, what he was going to do, but he didn't necessarily tell him what to say. How many times do we limit God? Because we don't have all of the particulars figured out. You see, there's an element of direction, and then there's an element of trust. Amen? I believe this is for somebody here today. There's an element of direction that God will give you so you know you're headed in the right direction. But then there's an element of trust where he says, just trust me. You're going to know what to do when you get there because I'm going to give you the words to say. You just need to be obedient. Amen? Amen. Let's let's keep on reading. Um, Verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming. They said, do you come peaceably? Because here's Samuel the prophet. All right, they're like thinking, you know, fire is about to rain down on us. We don't want him to do any crazy stuff. Oh, my gosh. He said, are you coming peaceably? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm coming peaceably. He said, said, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So why don't you go sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice? Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice as well. So when it was, when they came that he looked at Eliab, which was one of Jesse's sons, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He looked at this guy because he was looking at what Saul looked like because that was his view of what a king should be. Even though Saul was disobedient, he said, well, this guy looks good. He looks the part. But verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at his physical stature. So obviously this guy might have been really swole. He was all like jacked up, you know. Look at him, Eliab. Got a big thick neck. Used to play, you know, football for the camels, you know, or big, big thick 
guy. Oh, yeah, there's the Lord's anointed. No, he said, don't, don't look at his appearance. He said, don't you know that God's not looking at the appearance? He said, I've refused him. He said, for the Lord does not look at the outward appearance. He does not see as man sees. God looks at the heart. So then Jesse called Abinadab, which was another son of Jesse's, and he passed before Samuel. And the Lord said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all of the young men that you have? Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse's like, well, I got this other kid. I mean, <laughs> we kind of let him take care of the sheep. I mean, I just thought you know, I'd be one of these guys. I mean, I wanted to show you the guys that, that, that I'm really impressed with, my big boys, you know. He said, but I do have another son. He's out watching the sheep. Samuel said, send and bring him, for we will sit down and wait until, he said, we will not sit down till he comes here. I mean, I don't know how far away David was. But it sounds like he was a ways off if Samuel had to say, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. And you're like, oh man, David, you're making us stand up for like three hours or something. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. This is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went down to Ramah. You see, here we see exactly the heart of God in this situation. We see through the contrast of these two stories that God has always been after the heart. We see that God is not looking at all of the things that he did, not looking at all of the, 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 the wonderful attributes, not looking at the outward appearance. He said, I'm after someone who has a heart for me because obedience is better than sacrifice. Because when you truly look at what's going on in the situation. You've got all of these sons showing up. Jesse showing Samuel his best. But then he had one son. He thought, oh, there's not a chance. He doesn't want to talk to David. So I'm not even going to bother calling David up here. But yet that was the one that the Lord chose. The one that didn't even have a clue what was going on, man. It's like he was just doing his own thing, taking care of the sheep. And then all of a sudden somebody runs to go get him. Hey, come, there's a prophet in town. He had no idea what was going on because he was busy taking care of his father's sheep. And I think that the principle behind this is that true motive is really exposed behind the scenes. Because when we find David, first mentioned in the scripture, he's behind the scenes being submitted to his father by keeping his father's sheep. So his heart is already in a place of submission where he is serving his father by taking care of his dad's sheep. This is where he's at behind the scenes. Doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't have a clue. So it wasn't like he was rehearsing his speech in case he gets called up, you know? It wasn't like he was practicing extra hard to do something impressive because he didn't have a clue what was going on. He was out there being submitted to what his father told him to do. And then he was the one that was chosen. You know, my kids, they find a new energy to clean their rooms when there's an incentive. You know, it's like I want my kids to clean my room, to clean their room. I want, well, they'd be nice to clean my room too. But <clears throat> I want my kids to clean their room. I want them to do certain things. And man, sometimes they don't have a lot of motivation until there's either a positive or a negative uh, incentive in place. And then all of a sudden, 
They find this motivation. It's really amazing what happens, you know, when you begin to give them that incentive. Then they begin to do what I want them to do. But the true motive is not what's done when there's incentive. The true motive is what's done behind the scenes when no one's looking. And here, no one said, hey, David, why don't you go take care of your father's sheep really well with excellence and submit to your dad, and then maybe one day somebody will come running to you and anoint you as king. He didn't have a heads up on that one. He was just submitted because that was where his heart truly was. You see, I find it interesting that both of these stories of Saul and David in these back-to-back passages both deal with sheep and sacrifice. They're both uh, closing and opening, dealing with sheep. Now, let's go ahead and look at uh, one more passage of Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll start reading in verse 33. Now you remember what happened here. This is the famous story of David and Goliath. You remember that there was this giant champion who was the champion of the Philistines, and then he was beginning to uh, challenge the people of God, and he was cursing the name of God, and Saul, who was still king at the time, even though David was anointed, he was not in the position yet as the king, but he had the anointing, but he hadn't yet been through that process, even though God called him. Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes God will call you and anoint you and task you for something, but He doesn't want you to completely fulfill that because you haven't yet gone through the process. He wants you to submit to His process. Amen? Amen. So that means just because something's in your heart doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it has to happen overnight. We look at the way God created the world. God is God of process. And here we see David going through part of the process even though he was anointed and called. And here... He said, I'll face Goliath. I'll go up and I'll take care of this big boy. And Saul said, no, 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 no. You're you're, you're a little shepherd. I mean, no way, Jose. You're not going to do this. And he said, yeah. I said, I'm going to do it. So this is what he says here in verse 33. Um, Saul, the king, says, hey, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're you're a young guy. He's a man of war from his youth. You're, You're a shepherd, man. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. And I struck it. And I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. (laughs) Sometimes I don't want to mess with my cats when they go crazy. I grabbed this joker by its beard, man. And I struck it and killed it. And then your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. You better look out for David. He done jacked up a lion and a bear. And I'm going to make this joker just like one of them. Wow. Here's the crazy part about this story. When we look at sheep, they're often allegorical in Scripture as people. You remember when Jesus wept over the people being like sheep with no shepherd? The heart of the shepherd, Jesus said, will lay down his life for the sheep behind the scenes. Look at what Saul did with the sheep. What did he do? He kept them for his benefit. He used them by keeping the best so people would go, Oh, look at that Saul. 
Man, he is making quite the sacrifice today with those amazing sheep. Look at how beautiful those sheep are. He spared those sheep to give to God. What a great guy. Oh, Saul is. Wow. You see, he did that for his own personal benefit. He used them. He used the sheep. But then you look at David. He defended all the sheep because they all matter. Even one. One sheep. I mean, seriously, come on. If you're a shepherd and a lion comes and grabs one sheep, you're like, well, well, Fluffy's gone. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. There was a lion. Fluffy came. He was a good sheep. We'll mourn his loss. (laughs) But there was a lion, Dad. He didn't have to. Because get this, he, he, he could have. I'm sure his dad wouldn't even have been mad at him. Man, there was a lion. Oh, I'm so sorry. That had to be incredibly scary, my son. But no, he, he wasn't going to have any of that. You see, when he saw one, one single sheep being threatened, he was willing to risk his life for that one sheep. And then it happened again with a bear. So this wasn't just a one-time occurrence, he said. So when it comes to this giant, I'm not worried about him. I've been in this situation before. He said, I'm going to make this Philistine like one of them. Man, if you look at that, the way that sheep are used in Scripture, you could see how he was going to govern, how he was going to lead. You could see where his heart was as to where Saul took the sheep or the way he would take the people and use them for his own benefit because of his own insecurities. He wanted the people to like him and wanted the people to celebrate him. And wanted to make the whole kingdom about himself. So he led the kingdom from a selfish heart. But then you have David who behind the scenes when nobody was looking. And when nobody would have blamed him, quite frankly, for letting that one sheep go, he chose to put his life in danger. And then God knew he would do the same for the people that he was going to be called to lead. You see, God desires obedience from the heart. He's not looking for you to do something impressive, to say something eloquently. He's not looking for you to do all of the right things in every situation because you're so concerned about what everyone thinks. No, no, no. He wants you to obey Him and not just have the appearance of doing a bunch of right things. Amen? Amen. Because so many times in church culture, we do a really good job and work really hard on keeping up appearances. And we want to make sure that everyone knows that we're keeping up appearances because we want to be seen as doing the right things. But God's not looking at the things, folks. He's looking at the heart. Are you obeying Him in those little things? Are you obeying Him when no one is looking? Are you willing to lay your life down for another behind the scenes, not just when it's going to get the applause of the crowd? Are you willing to do the things that no one else wants to do? Are you willing to pray? You know what? You know why very few people show up to pray oftentimes when churches all over this world call prayer meetings? Because it's not flashy. Prayer is not flashy. Matter of fact, prayer from the outside in looks incredibly boring. If you look from the outside in, there's no flash. There's no wow. It's just us talking to God and crying out to God. But yet, is that something that he's been calling you to that you've been neglecting? Is there something that God wants you to do where it's loving on your neighbor and sacrificing for your neighbor who lives right next door to you 
to show them the love and truth of Jesus Christ, but it's not flashy. It, 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 it may not get any big accolades. Maybe you're not going to have a news crew out there reporting what you just did. But at the same time, God's saying, are you going to obey me in those little things to build relationship with that person to show them my love and the truth? What about that person at work that everyone else has ostracized and no one wants to deal with? That person that gets on everybody's nerves at work. That person that when you take a break, you hope he or she's not in the break room. You know what I'm talking about. Just like when you were in high school, the person that no one sat with at the lunch table. Is God calling you to reach out to that person, even though they, they just rub you the wrong way, man? Is God calling you to perhaps reach out and to offer forgiveness to someone who has offended you or wounded you? Maybe it's not going to be flashy. Maybe it's not going to be impressive, but yet it's something he's calling you to do. And we neglect it. We want to justify our reasons for why we do or don't do these things. But at the same time, God desires obedience from the heart. Amen? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to check your motive in the good that you're doing. To check your motive. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I do this? What's my motive? God, expose my motive. Rip selfishness out of me. Because the more that I have self-driven desires, the less my Actions are going to bring you glory. But the more selfless my desire and the more humble my serving you is, the more glory it brings you. I want to read this in closing. Matthew 6 and verse 1 through 6. I want to read it in the message translation because I really like the way that it reads. Matthew 6, 1 through 6 in the message says it like this. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and and street corners alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing To the crowds, they get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly, unobtrusively. This way, this is the way your God who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Next slide. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seats? (laughs) Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Oh, Oh, Jesus. So you won't role play before God. Mm. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.